If you're joining us online for the first time or you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. My name is Mark Mullery. I serve as one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to bring the sermon this morning. I'm so excited. I am just so excited to be going through the Gospel of Mark. We're in message number four, uh, so we're going to uh, look at uh, the, a significant chunk of uh, chapter one of the Gospel of Mark this morning. The series is called uh, Follow Me. It's it's uh, designed for us to be able to hear Jesus' call to discipleship, to see him and follow him. And this morning we're in uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 21 to 45, and Tracy Ennis is going to read that for us. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately... There was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. I want to pray from Psalm 119, verse 24. It says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for this word from you to us. Thank you for these testimonies that point us to Jesus Christ. I pray that the vision that we have of Jesus Christ here would bring delight to our hearts. I pray that you would counsel us by your word. And I pray that you would leave us astonished Lord, I pray this church would be astonished 
by the glory of Jesus Christ. Revive us, stir us, awaken us, cleanse us, purify us, and give us joy and gladness in Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So you probably know the idea of something going viral, right? It can be silly things like a meme. Uh, one of the ones that went through our family was this little kid talking about Chipotle. I love Chipotle. Chipotle is my life. <laughs> little silly things that go around like that. Or there can be things that are much more consequential that can change the course of history and the course of people's lives. The internet has made the fast circulation of, of information uh, occur in a, in a way that's never happened before. And obviously we're looking at a time in this passage before smartphones and before the internet. But there was still always the human capacity for word to spread quickly. There is a sort of first century sense in which this chapter is about Jesus going viral. This passage, we see Jesus, uh, his fame spreading like wildfire throughout Galilee. I want, you to, I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open as I go through this passage. And I'm going to uh, drop into different sections at different points. But just hear a few of the phrases that, that, that highlight for us how quickly Jesus' fame was spreading. Verse 28, it says, His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Verse 33, The whole city... Capernaum gathered at his door. Verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Verse 45, Jesus couldn't even go into towns anymore because it was too congested with people trying to, to, to get to him. So, so instead, he's outside of the towns and people are coming to him from every quarter, Mark writes for us. So I want to ask you, what is it about Jesus that made him so famous so fast? What is it about Jesus that drew so many people so quickly to him? And I want to ask, have you seen Jesus that way? Have you had that experience with him? This passage is a sequence of scenes, but so, and it's a little longer than sometimes passages that, that, that we do for sermons here. But I believe this passage is intended to be taken as a whole. These scenes are intended to be looked at together like a collage. You know how a collage works? Here's a collage of our family that uh, Leslie made for me. It's, we got kids in the upper left, kids in the lower right. We've got parents in the upper right, parents and family in the lower left. There's a series of pictures in there, but that's really one picture of Mark and Leslie's family, right? So all those little pictures add up to a bigger picture. So as we look through this passage, okay, you can take that down so we can stop looking at the Mullerys. Um, <laughs> it, 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 as, as we look at this passage, um, I, want you, I want you to be thinking as we go through this passage, what do all these little pictures add up to? What is Mark intending, the gospel writer intending, for us to see in the bigger picture? What are the big themes that this collage of these four scenes reveal to us about Jesus? We've been asking in all these messages, 
What do we learn from Jesus, about Jesus from this passage? So I want to ask today, what do we learn about Jesus from this collage, from this assembly of these pictures? So we're going we're gonna to walk through and look at each of these scenes, and we're going to linger just a little longer on the last one, the scene with the, with the leper, and then we'll draw some conclusions. So scene one, where does it take place? It's in a synagogue in Capernaum. Look back in verse 20. Uh, one with me, please. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Okay, so Jesus has just called these four men to be his disciples, Simon and Andrew and James and John. And so they're with him, and they come with him. It's the it's the Sabbath day, Shabbat. It's the seventh day of the week, Saturday. And so they're having their, their church, their worship service in the synagogue. Those services would have involved prayers and readings from the law and the prophets, a sermon or some kind of homily, a comment on the, 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 the scriptures, and then a benediction, not unlike the service that, that we're having here today. So apparently in this particular day in this particular synagogue, Jesus gives the sermon. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what he said, but we do know the reaction. It says they were astonished at the sermon. They were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished because he wasn't like the scribes. Now, the scribes were Israel's professional Bible scholars, and their job was to interpret the scriptures. It seems, though, that at this stage of things, they'd gotten kind of bogged down in lots of traditions and quoting one another. And Jesus' sermon comes to them as a breath of fresh air. It comes with enormous power, and it leaves the congregation astonished. And in the middle of all this, the service is disrupted by a man with an unclean spirit. That is, a man with a demon crying out. Verse 24 says, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, just segue for just a second. He says, Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to, I'm visual, I like maps. I'm going to put the the map up so you can kind of see what's going on here. So where are they? They're in this little town of Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee. That's circled in red up there at the top. It's in, a re- it's in the region of, of Galilee. There are other regions in the area. You can see in the lower right, the Decapolis. We'll come into that in chapter 5. But the green circle, that's Nazareth. Okay, that's, that's where Jesus is from. And so he's kind of in this general uh, region of, of, of Galilee where much of his ministry is going to take place. And this, this synagogue is, is in the town of Capernaum. And so the demon says to him, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. It says that this, this is an unclean spirit. What does that mean? Well, unclean here doesn't mean dirty in the sense of needs a shower or something like that. But it's unclean in the sense of being evil. It's, being def- it's a defiling spirit. And so right here, imagine the moment. You're in the synagogue. Jesus is giving this incredible sermon. People are astonished by it. And then this this man with this unclean spirit cries out in in the middle of what's going on here. Spiritual warfare is breaking out in the middle of a worship service. Jesus has come bringing the kingdom of God and God's enemies are resisting his presence. 
So we might just pause here and recognize spiritual warfare is real. Jesus lived in a battleground and so do we. Demons are real and still oppose the kingdom of God. Jesus defeats this unclean spirit easily. And in Christ, we need to be on guard, for we do live in a time of spiritual warfare. But in Christ, we need never be afraid. If you want to know how all this plays out more, study later Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. But I just want to, just want to highlight, demons are God's supernatural opponents, part of Satan's army. And we've already seen Jesus doing battle with Satan. We saw that back in verses 12 and 13. And now one of Satan's troopers is there and Jesus is, is battling with this unclean spirit and casting it out. And so it says then that when he was done with that, the people were now astonished for a second time. Astonished at the authority of his teaching and now astonished at the authority that he has over this unclean spirit. And verse 28 says his fame spread everywhere throughout that whole region of Galilee. That's scene one. Scene two takes place on the same day in the same town. It's Simon and Andrew's house. Now, Simon, you may, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you may recognize him as Peter. He's both Simon and Peter. And at this point, he's being referred to as Simon. Later, he'll be referred to as Peter. And so after the worship service is over, they go over to their house. Maybe it's right close by the the synagogue. It says in verse 29, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. So Peter and Andrew, this is their house. We see that Peter is married. He's got a a, a mother-in-law. And um, probably this is, this is uh, where their, their fishing business was, was headquartered. And that's why they, they, they live here. So after the service, they do what maybe some of you are going to do after the service today. They're getting together. And they're just going over to the house. Maybe they're going to have some lunch or some coffee or whatever, whatever they would do. And so Peter's mother-in-law, his, his wife's mom, is there in the house. But she's sick. She's got this fever. And so they mention this to Jesus. Jesus goes and takes her hand and lifts her up. And she's healed. She's healed so completely. You've had fevers before, right? Maybe she's got the flu. I don't know what exactly she's got. But usually it takes a little time to recover when you start getting better. But this is a wonderful, miraculous healing. And he, he takes her hand. He lifts her up. The fever's gone. And she's fully restored. And she gets up and starts making lunch for them or serving the coffee or whatever it is that, that she's going to do. Now, let me just pause here. As an aside, I want you to notice the detail that we're getting about what's happening here. The details of the house, who owns the house, who's in the house, even the detail that he's taking this woman by the hand. She's got a fever. She's up and serving. These kind of details are the kind of details that eyewitnesses give to things that they've been there to see and experience. Mark, the gospel writer, wasn't one of the 12 disciples. We don't know uh, uh, when, when, if at all, he shows up in in Jesus' public ministry, but The early church understood that Peter was the eyewitness reporter that that Mark was recording to write down the events recorded in this gospel. And it's scenes like this that indicate to us 
that, that we get lots of, of, of uh, scenes that, that highlight Peter because that's what Peter would be remembering and, and, and telling someone about. So, um, so though Mark is the gospel writer, Peter is likely the eyewitness uh, a reporter for what's going on in scenes like this. And, and can you picture then that as, as the sun goes down, Shabbat, the Sabbath, is ending and people are free to move about. You know what happens? The word has gotten out that Jesus is there and that he's healing people. So what happens? Can you imagine in your neighborhood today if word got out that there was someone down the block that could heal anybody? Can you imagine what it would look like? All the sick people in your neighborhood, all the oppressed people in your neighborhood, everybody with, with disabilities and cancer and broken arms and, 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 and all kinds of issues, you could get free immediate healing. Like imagine what that would be like. Well, that's what it was like. There were so many people, they couldn't fit inside the house. And so there, there, there's just this mob of people outside. Imagine what it would be like to be there in that crowd. Imagine if you're one of those sick people. All these people, and you're wondering, is he going to get to me? Is he going to run out of gas before he gets to me? All these people are pushing in front of me. I can't, I can't get to where I need to get to. Is there going to be time? For, like, imagine what's happening. And, and, and it, it seems that Jesus healed everyone. It says he healed many, but there's no evidence that he turned anyone away. And I wonder what it looked like as he was healing these people. I doubt it was just sort of a, whoosh, okay, everybody can go home now. Because when we see him engage a leper, at the end of this chapter, when we see him engage Peter's mother-in-law, it's one at a time. It's taking a hand. It's praying. It's speaking. So one by one, these people are encountering Jesus, and they're being delivered. They're being restored. Demons are being cast out. Diseases are, 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 are being cast out. People are being healed. Can you see the compassion of Jesus Christ in this scene? Can you see in this broken world, a new creation is beginning? It's the presence of the kingdom of God. It's the presence of the future when all sickness, when all darkness, when all evil and all death is put away forever. Jesus is here bringing that kingdom. What a day this was for all those people. And you know, what a day this was for Jesus. Can you imagine how astonishing this day was for him? I want to ask you, when you have a great day, when things go better than you could ever have imagined they might go, what do you do next? What do you do the next day? What did Jesus do the next day? What do you do the day after you land a big contract? What do you do the day after you graduate at the top of your class? What do you do after the day you get married or whatever wonderful thing happens to you? What do you do next? Look at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. We've seen Jesus in the synagogue. We've seen him in Simon and Andrew's house, and now we see him in the place of prayer. This is all in a 24-hour period. The Shabbat service, lunch, the healing service in the evening, and now it's morning devotions. 
Does this surprise you that this is what he does? Why does he do this? You know, when the disciples come and find him there, they don't know why he's doing this. Like, what are you doing here? Everyone is looking for you. Come back to town. There's a revival underway. This isn't the time to be out by yourself praying. You need to leverage your fame. This is the time to build the brand. Parlay the publicity. Raise some money. Pass the baskets. Can you imagine how much money we could collect today? We know how to think about these things, right? We're off to the races. You're the Messiah. Let's go. Jesus has all this authority. We just saw it. All this power. We just saw it. So what does he do next? He prays. Do you associate great authority and great prayer? Do they go together in your mind? I want you to think about this. Has Jesus ever sinned? Does he have that fallen nature that we have? No. Why is he praying? What's he doing? Meeting with God. And I assume his prayers are a combination of word and prayer because he's memorized, as a good Jewish boy, he's memorized tons of scripture. And we'll see that as he goes through his ministry. He's regularly quoting scripture on the cross. He's citing scripture. So there's this conversation with God. He's got God's word in his heart and he's talking back and forth with the Father about this. I want you to think about what's happening here. If you were here beginning of the year, when we went through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we saw that human beings were designed to live by God's word and to live in a close and dependent relationship with God before the fall into sin. Human beings like you are designed to need God every day, not because of sin, because that's the nature of how God made us. God designed us to be in a life-giving, active, and dependent relationship with him. Now, in the face of sin, how much more do we need him every day? But it is part of the essence of what it means to be a human being, to need to be in fellowship with God, to need to be strengthened by God, to need to be guided by God. And Jesus is modeling all those things for us. Jesus prays. And when the disciples show up, they have a completely different idea than he does about what to do next. I wonder how much of his clarity about what to do next is the direct result of what he just did. Psalm 119. Hear my cry, O God, and guide me according to your word. He's being guided out of a dependent relationship on God. The guys are saying, come on, let's go back and build on the momentum. And he's saying, no, that's not my mission. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to become famous. I'm not here to raise an army. I'm not here to collect tons of money. I'm here to preach the gospel. And so we're going to move on town to town to town. And it says, verse 39, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I love, oh, don't you love this scene? I love this scene. Jesus is in this dependent, 
humbly dependent, life-giving relationship with the Father. And through him, we come into the same kind of relationship with the same Father. The good news of the gospel is that through Jesus, men and women like us can be reconciled to God. We can have peace with God. All the barriers of hostility are torn down by Christ so that now we can draw near to a throne of grace for help in time of need. Now we can live in a life-giving relationship, a humbly dependent relationship with the living God so that we too can be strengthened and guided and move into our day on mission as directed by God place of prayer. Last place. Scene four. A leper. Mark highlights each of these scenes with a location in the synagogue, in Peter and Andrew's house, in the place of prayer. But the last one's different. With a person. Doesn't tell us where. Doesn't tell us exactly when. He tells us who. So zero in. Get your hearts and minds on this person. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Can you see this? What's it mean to be a leper? Leprosy is a skin disease that can damage one's nerves so that you don't feel pain. And when you don't feel pain, you don't know when you've injured yourself. And so it can lead to the destruction and loss of of limbs. Leprosy was sort of a death sentence in the ancient world. Look at uh, Leviticus 13.45. This one's on the screen for you. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes... Let the hair of his head hang loose and shall cover his upper lip and cry out. So you see what's happening here? Cover the upper lip. Unclean, unclean, unclean. That's your point of connection with people. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And oh, how important that Jesus comes and is crucified outside the camp for unclean people. To be unclean, ritually, ceremonial unclean, as these lepers were, means you never go to the temple. It means you're separated from God's people. It means you're isolated and separated. It means you can hang around other lepers, but that's it. So the experience of touch, the experience of a hug, the experience of having someone like Jesus lay your ha- his hand on you, you would never have that experience. There was no cure for leprosy. You read through the Old Testament, there are only two occasions where leprosy is described as having been healed, and there is a, a, a pathway back into the community if you can prove that you've been healed. And so this leper knows he's in a desperate situation, and he takes the initiative and he comes to Jesus. And I love what he says. If you will, if you will, you can make me clean. He knows what he can do, 
and he's asking what he's willing to do. You know, when I read that and think about that, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus in the garden. Didn't he pray kind of like that? If you will, you could take this cup from me. But I trust you. So do what you think is best. Couldn't we learn to pray from this man? Lord, if you will, you could revive us as a church. You could pour out your spirit on us today. If you will, my children could be saved and disciples of Christ. If you will, you could preserve us in unity during a time of great division. If you will, all those students that are away at crew and IV retreats today could experience your presence and power and many could be born again. If, oh Lord, if you will. I love this man's faith. And I love what Jesus does. Can you imagine? Moved with pity. He does the unthinkable. He touches him. See, the way this works is, if you touch an unclean person, you know what happens? You become unclean. You know how this works. If you're around someone with COVID, you know what happens? You're exposed and you have to take appropriate measures. You have to quarantine. That's what, it only goes one direction. Do you know anybody that if a bunch of people have COVID and that person comes and sits with them, all those people can leave quarantine and, and, and be healed with no, no sickness and, and, and no need to quarantine because they all received the wellness from that one person. It doesn't ever go that way, does it? It always goes the other direction. It was the same way in the first century. And so if Jesus touches him and he's like everybody else, Jesus is now unclean and he's got to get out of the city and he's got to go through this whole ritual to become clean again. But that's not what happens because Jesus isn't like anybody else. And when Jesus touches him, the flow of uncleanness is reversed and his uncleanness is removed. And so instead of Jesus being made unclean by the leper, the leper is made clean by Christ. Hallelujah, what a savior. What compassion that he would leave heaven and come to this messy, filthy, dirty, unclean world and touch one and then another and call one and then another and heal one and receive another and he's still doing it today. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark told us in verse 1. And we remember when we see this scene as the leper is healed, and then Jesus' great compassion, he tells him, you need to do something now. You need to go to the temple and bring with it the sacrifice and do everything that the law commands. Why? So that the priest can pronounce you clean. Why? So that you can come back to your family, to your village, to the community, to the temple. Can you imagine what that conversation was like with the priest? You're healed from leprosy? How'd that happen? Somebody touched you, huh? That's going to create some interesting conversations in Jerusalem, but that's for later. Sin is worse than leprosy. 
Sin makes us unclean before God. Sin is fundamentally isolating and separating. It's antisocial. It separates us from God and from one another. But Jesus' cross work will make it possible for unclean, isolated people like you and me to be washed. 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you, but you were washed. He put his hand on you. And when you came with repentance and faith, he said, you're clean and you're mine. Sanctified, justified. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you can be made clean and set apart for God and brought into this wonderful new community Jesus' body, the church. What do we learn about Jesus from this collage? I want to tell you that the application here today isn't sort of super nuts and bolts and practical. You know what I long for from this passage? Starting with me more than anybody. I'll just long that we'd be astonished by Jesus. you'd be astonished by Jesus. That we'd be a church stunned. Can you see his astonishing authority? His teaching. Nobody teaches like him. His authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. Are you astonished? Are you amazed? Have you ever been astonished? And amazed? Would you be looking back at some time when you were astonished and amazed? If we're not astonished now, we might just slow down and ponder. If I'm not astonished by Jesus, am I astonished by something else? Do I have an awe problem? Am I in awe of other things that are pushing out awe of Christ? We might bring this to the Lord. Oh, how I've been praying this week. Lord, start with me. Revive my heart. Thrill me with Christ. Second, can you see his tender compassion? I love the way Mark assembles this collage for us. And can you see his compassion? The way he touches Peter's sick mother-in-law and heals her. The way he puts his hand on the leper. The fact that he's there. The Son of God has no reason to be there in Capernaum. He should be in heaven where it's safe and comfortable. There's no sickness and messiness up there. In the face of human treason and rebellion, God could have written all of us off and started all over, but he's come on a rescue mission to reclaim creation for his glory. Why? Because we deserved it? No. Why? Because he was lonely and he needed us? No. Why? Because he's love. He's full of compassion. His great compassion brought him here fishing for men and women. And now he's sending us into his world filled with that compassion to go fishing for men and women. Can you see his tender compassion? If you can't, oh, make this a matter of prayer. Can others see that tender compassion growing in you? If they can't, oh, bring this to God in prayer. Can you see his astonishing authority his tender compassion.
and his humble dependence. People are astounded by his authority. They're astonished at his authority. And then we see him praying. After the most successful day of his life, he gets up early while it's still dark and he goes to pray. I wonder when, when you get a promotion, receive an inheritance, get a raise, grow in popularity, things go well, do we go to that place of prayer? Because there are many temptations that come with prosperity and success. And if Jesus needed to flee to that place of prayer in the midst of great success, how much more do we? He shows us the way, humble dependence on God as Father. Oh, may we be a people who are astonished by Jesus, his authority, his compassion, his humble dependence. And may it be an astonishment, not like a crowd that can be fickle and change. May it be a knowledge and an understanding, not like the demon who knew exactly who he was. You're the Holy One of God, but to no profit. But may it be an astonishment that leads to faith and the fruit of the Spirit. That leads to us freely spreading the good news about Jesus, which he's encouraged us to do.